Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another exciting night of NBA basketball. With the first pick... The Detroit Pistons select Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State University. Chandler again. Oh, what a block by Max Seal! My goodness! The Pistons are digging in. They got the depth. They got the big man. They got the better basketball team. No doubt about it. There's Jaden playing the passing lane. Sky's a jam. Dynamite dunk and the crowd loves it. Pistons need a three and they have just under three seconds to do it. Here's Chauncey Phillips. Here it is. Pistons fans, welcome back to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast, part of the Believe Network. I'm your host, Mike King. Well, on and join me this week is Aaron Johnson. Aaron, how are you doing, buddy? Doing good, Mike. We've got a jam-packed agenda today, doing without our friend Jasper Apollonia. Hopefully, we'll have him back next week. But got a lot to talk about the Pistons making a big-time free agency acquisition. I know that's going to be one of the topics we hit on, so... Super, super stoked to be here with you and ready to talk about all that's going on in Pistons land. Yes, all that's going on. We do have a lot on the agenda, so we're going to hop right into it. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor for this week's podcast, and it is Bet Online. And the last of the major pro sports leagues is off and rolling. College basketball is ready to go. I've only already dropped a couple of bets on uh, college basketball. Bet Online remains your top spot for all your live betting act and contests between the NFL, college football, UFC, NHL, all in full swing. Bet Online is your number one source for all your wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops betting action, along with every sport available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time. So head on over to Bet Online today and remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, B L E A V, for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. When you use Bet Online again, that promo code is Believe B L E A V for your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. When you use Bet Online, Bet Online where the game starts. Yeah, guess who? Aaron, bet- we don't really have like a. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to guess who bet on uh, Michigan State minus sixteen and a half against James Madison Ooh, opening night. Brutal. Yeah, this guy. This guy. So much for that, right? Hilarious. <laughs> James Madison, who's a Coming to play my Kent State Golden Flashes, I think, either tonight or tomorrow. Hey, I think there's a – speaking of Kent State, I think there's a Kent State player on the Motor City Cruise roster, but I can't remember. There is. I believe it's Malik Jacobs. Okay. Okay. I think. I, I saw think that the other day. I saw them tweet it out. Kent State uh, is uh, horrendous at football, but – they they have a good they have a good basketball program seemingly every time. Yeah. A couple of sports bets already popped off. I was down to fifty two cents, I think, on FanDuel, and I've slowly brought it all the way back up to eighteen dollars. So look at me. There we go. There we Savant. Go. <laughs> I can buy one movie ticket now. 
um, okay, let's get into some Pistons talk. Let's just get the easy one out of the way, if you don't mind. And that would be the Pistons signing Kevin Knox off the free agent heap. He agreed to a one-year deal with Detroit on Wednesday, according to The Athletic. Pistons have a ton of injuries, particularly on the wing, whether that be Isaiah Livers, Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, just to name a few, Monty Morris as well, although this is Kevin Knox mostly would fit in on the wing. Ton of injuries. He played with the Pistons last year, 42 games. Uh, He averaged 5.6 points, 2.6 boards in 14 minutes. He did a little bit better, actually, in Portland when I was looking at those numbers. I think it was up to like nine points a game in 17 minutes. He was eventually cut by the Blazers ahead of training camp as they have their youth movement. So bring back Kevin Knox. Uses the last roster space uh, with, with that one spot left. Troy Weaver decided to use it on Knox. Aaron, do you have any thoughts on bringing in Kevin Knox? Because I, with, I guess it makes sense with all the injuries that they have, but you don't want to be taking time away from any of the young players either. Uh, I feel like this is just a depth signing. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not like sitting here freaking out like a lot of people were on on social media when the news broke out on on Wednesday, uh, or was it Tuesday? I don't even know at this point, but. I'm not freaking out like they were like, why'd you sign Kevin Knox? Like, let's face it. Kevin Knox is a end of bench guy. The Pistons have five rotation players out. Uh, they are playing two two way players a night right now already less than 10 games into the season. Um, the unfortunate thing is like, I think I'd rather just see what Stanley Amude can give you, especially after what he's already shown he can do. Like he had a 15 point game where he knocked down like three threes, got to the rim a little bit. Like, and I don't know if Kevin Knox is going to play ahead of him, but it's also, I understand the viewpoint of like, here we are less than 10 games into the year. The Pistons are already playing two way guys are already having to sign these end of bench roster guys because the season's already off to such a bad start. So I get the frustration there, but I'm not freaking out like people are about Kevin Knox. Like it's going to come in. He's probably going to play a little bit here and there. Going to provide some floor spacing, shoot the ball. It's a little bit longer, gives them a little more size than they had. I think the bigger deal with this is the fact that, they're probably this probably means they're going to be missing Boyan Bogdanovich and Isaiah Livers and Joe Harris for some more time. Like Harris is out the what next two weeks at least until he's being reevaluated. I think Livers is out until the at least the the last week of November before he's reevaluated. Would have liked to have gotten some some news and update on on Bogdanovich, but we haven't gotten that yet. So you have to assume that it's not going to be back within the near future. The Pistons are banged up and they're playing without so many roster guys right now. They kind of needed a body. So they're not going to be able to go out and sign some five-time all-star uh, <laughs> 10 games into the season. They were picking from a very uh, niche group of players. And Kevin Knox has familiarity with the city, with Troy Weaver, knows some of the players on the roster, was literally here last year. 
it probably makes more sense than it doesn't at this point. So not all up in arms over the move, not sitting here saying, you know, oh, what a masterclass move either. But the Pistons probably needed to end up using that last roster spot with how many injuries they had. And Kevin Knox is a guy. So Kevin Knox is a guy is a good uh, tagline for this whole thing. Yeah, I, I would only be upset if he is taking time away from Stanley. Um, I actually forgot about the Joe Harris injury. That's a great point. They are down pretty much every wing. <laughs> uh, every shooting wing that they have is currently injured. Not that Kevin Knox is going to solve any of those problems, but he is just a depth piece. I would only be upset if he is taking minutes away from Stanley or any of the of of uh, the uh, the other young players. Um, yeah, they kind of probably had their hand forced in having to sign somebody with that last spot, just based on the mounting injuries that are just piling up. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not up in arms either. A little bit unfortunate to see one of the bigger draft busts end up back on your roster as a necessity, but at this point, he is just a guy, as as you said. Um, okay, if you're ready to move on, I'm ready to move on to... We were talking a little bit about Jaden Ivey and the rotation uh, of the Pistons right now. And really, I guess the whole guard situation um, outside of Cade for right now. We could talk about Jaden Ivey. We could talk about the killer, Marcus Sasser, who played out of his mind last night against the Milwaukee Bucks, or now two days ago, for those of you who are listening. And then Killian Hayes, who has just kind of like hummed along at a pretty steady average to slightly below average clip. Aaron, I will let you pick which, which, which player do you want to talk about first? Who is, who's really, who are you itching to just like give a take on? I think people want to hear about Jaden Ivy. I think it, the, the, there's a lot going on with him right now. It was, he started the season coming off the bench, playing behind Killian Hayes. It was, now that now he's out for already ruled out for Friday night's game, he's with an illness. It's going to be the fourth game he's missed due to an illness. People are reading into that. There haven't been a lot of details about what he's dealing with outside of that. He's dealing with an illness uh, and people are taking that silence as there's something more going on, um, which has people talking about Jaden Ivy potentially being moved i think people want to hear about Jaden ivy i think people want to talk about Jaden ivy and it's just not been a, a good start to the year if you're Jaden ivy that's the unfortunate reality um coming off the bench now you're sick you're i don't know if it's i guess it's trade rumors there's not really been anything major uh, from any major outlet or reporter coming out saying all oh, there's there's trade rumors surrounding Jaden ivy but well, Brian Windhorst of ESPN did say he's heard that Jaden Ivey or imagine Jaden Ivey's not thrilled about coming off the bench. Uh, usually when a reporter of that status says something like that, there's some something else to it. Uh, whether Where there's he, smoke, there's fire. Right. And, and Brian Windhorst is the exact type of reporter that kind of leads you on with a, a thought of his that's backed up really by conversations he's had with whether it's agents or start front office staff members, people in the know. So there's a lot surrounding Jaden Ivey. 
Um, I think it would be great if there was some sort of uh, information that came out about what he's dealing with, when he's expected back, if he's actually involved in rumors. There was a tweet from uh, Vinny Goodwill after the Bucks game about how the next few days are very interesting when talking about Jaden Ivey and Marcus Sasser. So people were taking that as uh, uh, like, oh, is something going on behind the scenes? Are the Pistons working on a deal with moving Jaden Ivey? So there's just been so much going on with him, and a lot of it's been uh, tumultuous talk. So, yeah, it's not been an ideal start to the season, and there's so much going on with that. I think everyone's just looking for for clarity on the situation. It felt like we were maybe trending towards Jaden Ivey working his way back into the starting lineup after a couple of good games, his last one against the Pelicans, where he was playing very well off the bench although he was then seemingly benched in the fourth quarter after leading the team back into the game in the third. But then he's out with an illness out of the blue, and we really haven't heard much since. So a lot going on with Jaden Ivey, and, and really none of it seems to be good, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it seems like every week we have a different, uh, you know, a small blip of information that becomes available. You know, his dad tweeting about stuff that, Czar has uh, thankfully in the group chat been able to keep track of to like being sick all of a sudden. And, you know, I don't know if this is just how ESPN denotes it, but he's denoted as DMP away from team. Um, That might just be how the website tracks it, but he's averaging 20 minutes a game. That's 10 minutes less per game than last year. He's averaging 11 points. Two and a half assists, forty percent from three, forty-nine percent from the floor. Monty's been very vocal about defense first, and that's why Killing Hayes has gotten the starts because uh, Hayes prioritizes defense more um, than Jane Ivy does, or or at least that seems to be the reasoning behind this change in the rotation. I. It's a little it's a little scary that there hasn't been any real clarity from the beat on Ivy other than he's sick, he's not gonna be playing. And they don't know when he's gonna be not sick anymore and good enough to play. Um so that's a little bit on the concerning side. And like you said, where there's smoke, there's fire. And when Brian Windhorst normally, you know, we like to clown him a little bit as you know being the mouthpiece for a lot of players. But the fact of the matter is, is he knows so much of what's being talked about in the NBA that he can't talk about on ESPN or the Hoop Collective. So when he does say something like, yeah, Jaden Ivey can't be thrilled with X or any player can't be thrilled with X, there's probably some level of truth to it. So I feel like we're headed swiftly down a path of Jaden Ivey trade spots um, especially with the way the rotation is rounding out. And with him not playing, doesn't give the Pistons any you know, additional uh, sense of what he can bring to this roster. He's kind of been shoved into the Colin Sexton six-man role that was put into effect um, sort of when Darius Garland started to take off and Sexton kind of got pushed into a different role. He's taken that on a little bit and much like Pistons fans, Caps fans were very upset with what was happening to another very high draft pick, uh, the first pick post LeBron leaving the 
the second time and wondering why isn't this kid playing? You know, we're heading towards that level of vitriol right now. I don't really know what to make of it. I don't know what his trade value is. I don't know if a guy in his second year is going to command an ask out. I don't, I mean, I know the NBA is all about player empowerment, but it just, just doesn't seem like a situation where he's going to do that or should be doing that or he, or good enough to do that. But it is very odd that we haven't gotten any clarity other than Monty prioritizes defense. That's why Killian Hayes is starting. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, and and I get that. Like people talking about last night during the Bucks game, oh, why didn't Stanley Amude come in? for that final possession. Like there's a, there's a chain of command in the NBA. And as an NBA coach, you have to balance a locker room. You have to balance players. You have to balance relationships. You have to balance egos. And it's like, there are certain things as a coach that you have to do that maybe don't make the most sense in terms of X's and O's, but make sense in terms of running an NBA team, running a locker room, managing your players, managing the relationships amongst players and managing relationships with your players. And so like, the decision to start Killian Hayes makes sense for some of those reasons. Monty Williams wants to establish an identity of being a defensive-minded team, a team that's going to play hard every single possession, and build that identity defensively. The offense will come with the defense in his philosophy. And if Jaden Ivey's not giving you that effort defensively, if he's not making those, those stops defensively, and you know, let's be honest, in the games that he's played this year, Maybe he hasn't been a bad defender, but he's certainly not been a good defender. Uh, you know, Killian Hayes is a guy that does give you some better output defensively. I don't think Killian Hayes is a great defender by any stretch of the imagination, but Monty Williams has made it clear he wants to build a defensive identity. He wants that to be the identity of this team. And in his first season and his first games, he can't just bow out of that tone, bow out of building that identity because Jaden Ivey's a top five pick, had a big season last year, and to the public deserves to be in the starting lineup. So we, in the public, the people that aren't in the locker room, the people that aren't in the practices, don't know everything that's going on. And that's why I think, because we don't know everything going on, that's why we read into certain things, like Jaden Ivey being listed out for four, for four games in a row with an illness, and there's been no other details about it. So we read into it because we don't know everything that's going on, but there's so much more that goes into being a coach of a team really at any level than just what are the, what, what gives me the best X and O's results. You have to manage so much more than that. So I think, I think everybody knows Jane and Ivy is probably a better overall basketball player than Killian Hayes. But if Monty Williams wants to establish that defensive identity, wants that to be this team's calling card, he's got to show that those guys that do play the best defense in the team are going to get minutes. And that's why Sar Thompson started right away. That's why Isaiah Stewart's been given a lot of looks and Jalen Dern's been given a lot of looks. So it's like, 
there's there's a method to it even if people don't see it and that's and and the thing is you can understand that method and you could still not agree with it that's fine and that's you know that's your right as a fan or as an analyst whatever you can agree with it or disagree with it but you have you can also acknowledge like hey i understand why the coach wants to do this still don't agree with it but i understand why so there's a lot of factors that that go into a decision like that that in the public maybe not everyone gets they happen for a reason so with killing hayes on the floor the pistons defense is in the 37th percentile they allow 3.6 additional points per 100 possessions with Jaden ivy it's just a smidge worse it's like 5.8 the 27th percentile so team defense is a little bit better with killian on the floor and i think there will be a you know just a measuring act that monty has to do of like okay if you're measuring the offense with ivy yeah you know his defense is maybe a little bit more questionable but what he provides on the offensive end is you know should outweigh that and you know i think that internal calculus is that Killian Hayes does so little on offense that it doesn't harm the, like he doesn't harm the offense as much because he doesn't do as much because his usage is lower than Jaden Ivey, who admittedly, while a very fast player can get downhill, very athletic and, you know, has the ability to finish at the rim. And so far has shown a little bit more shooting. He is a high usage player that when he, you know, he, he can sometimes dribble the ball out of the air. He can sometimes be not very efficient. Um, he started off his rookie year not being very efficient, gradually came into his own and became a much better, more controlled player. Um, that could be part of the calculus, you know, as well as that Killian Hayes doesn't do a whole lot on the offensive end. He's a fairly low, low ceiling, but maybe like medium-ish floor level type of offensive player. And, and that maybe reassures Monty that you know he's going to be sticking to defense first and offense second and if if that's the identity that you're trying to put down um I guess that does make a little bit of sense why you'd want to go to Killian but it, it still doesn't resolve or doesn't give any clarity to Jay Nivey's position and he was one of the core pieces I mean he's one of the pieces we were excited about coming into the year evolving with Kate Cunningham in the backcourt and it just has not happened so yeah, it's a little bit concerning. Let me be clear, uh, just because I understand why Monty Williams does start Killian Hayes doesn't mean I agree with it. Like I'm one of those people that. Like, oh, sure, absolutely. I I don't. That's not who I would start. And so, like, whether it's Jaden Ivey, whether it's Marcus Sasser, like, I in my in my mind, I don't think Killian Hayes does enough defensively to make up for what he is offensively and people say oh look at the last six games he's shooting 36 percent from three-point lines like okay the bar is very very low right now the bar right. is incredibly low for what provides value out of killian hayes and it's like you see how the the team's dynamic changes when marcus sasser comes in the bucks game is a perfect example and it's like you would imagine Things look better with Jaden Ivey out on the court or Alec Burks out on the court, who's also been out now for the last. Or, or if we are to believe uh, what the rotation would be when fully healthy, Boyan Bogdanovich was going to be playing the two. Or Monte Morris. I mean, there's a million different, you know, there's five, six guys that we've just named. And, you know, there's, it's just like, I don't believe Killian Hayes is the best option. Like he could quite frankly be, 
the worst option on the roster outside of maybe like Joe Harris. But it's the it's Bonnie <laughs> Williams God. trying to set his identity, build his identity, and make guys earn those minutes. So it's it's maybe not what we all agree with on the outside, but that's just how it is in that locker room. In that in so, that so we were kind of touching on all of the guards, but we've talked about Killian Hayes a lot more. So let's let's roll into Killian Hayes a little bit. He's been the starting two next to Cade. Ten points, four, yeah, like almost five assists per game. Thirty-two percent from three, thirty-nine percent from the floor. Uh, almost two stocks per game, stealing a block for those uninitiated. Kind of is what he is. I mean, his three-point percentage is up five percent from his career average. Almost everything is pretty much the same. The stocks are the same. His assists are a little higher. His points are a little higher. I mean, he's playing a little bit better, and that's probably just a byproduct of the offense being more competent with Cade Cunningham on the floor. So he's probably benefiting a little bit more from that. But the most polarizing player over the last three and a half years so far has has been Killian Hayes. Do you have any any like? I mean, obviously, you're not in the camp that he should be the starting two, which is totally fine and makes a lot of sense based on what he is as a player and what he has been as a player, which is mostly kind of disappointing, you know, aside from a couple of games, a couple aside from a stretch, like a 15 game stretch last year where he was he he looked like he made the leap of all leaps that everybody's been waiting for. Assuming health is back and Bogdanovich is back and Harris is back, you know, assuming health. Where does Killian Hayes fit in the rotation in your mind? Is, is he even in the rotation? I mean, in my mind, if you're getting Alec Burks, Monte Morris, Boyan Bogdanovich, and Jaden Ivey back, like, I don't see minutes for Killian Hayes. Marcus Sasser has has forced that hand. Alec Burks has played incredible – was playing good basketball when he before he got hurt. You have Kate Cunningham. Monte Morris was a very, very good backup point guard last year – and is did not come to Detroit to play the 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 Corey Joseph role or, or not see the core. Like he's gonna get minutes. I I think, like I said, if there's you know six seven guys that deserve minutes and that play the guard spot or play you know between the one two and a little bit of three, Killian and Joe Harris are at the bottom of the rotation in my mind, and it's kind of like everyone else is pretty clearly ahead of them. I don't. I don't see a world where he's getting minutes over Alec Burks when he's back or Boyan Bogdanovich when he's back. Or I, I still think Jaden Ivey's going to figure things out. If he's still in Detroit, he's going to figure things out. He's way too talented of a player to just not get on the court and play 15 minutes a night. Like he does too much for you. And Marcus Sasser has proven he cannot sit anymore. Like Marcus Sasser, should be in the starting lineup right now, pretty much, but isn't. So it's like you have all these guys. Should be. And it's Absolutely. Over Killian Hayes. And people will say, oh, look at what he's done over his last six game. Uh, there's a lot of guys that have great six game spurts. Recent memory, guys that haven't panned out in Detroit that have done that. Uh, guys that come to mind are players like Sekou Dumboya and Stanley Johnson. Everyone can have. Oh, you're Stanley. Two, How could you? where they look like competent players and do the things that you envision them being able to do. But the best NBA players are consistent. And if 
history has shown anything. Unfortunately, Killian Hayes has not been a consistently good enough player uh, to the point where I think he should be playing over guys that have higher potential in Jaden Ivey and Marcus Sasser and guys that give you more than Hayes does in players like Alec Burks, Cade Cunningham, and Boyan Bogdanovich. In- um, no, I, I totally agree. And there's enough good players ahead of him that when everyone's healthy, I agree. I don't, I don't know what the minutes look like. I mean, he seems like he's evolved to competent backup point guard that isn't going to kill you, which is valuable for plenty of teams. Um, but the Pistons made a serious investment in him, and, and I understand that that kind of sticks with players, or rather that sticks with fans that, you know, you, you drafted him very high. This is what you're getting out of him is 32% from three. But so far, that's a career high. I think he's mostly been fine. He's he's been perfectly fine. I think Marcus Sasser is kind of more able to do the things that we kind of need Killian to do, like the catch and shoot threes. I mean, Marcus Sasser is a gunner. I said this before the podcast. The guy went on an absolute heater against the Bucks and pretty much brought the Pistons back and almost carried them to a victory. 26 points. He shot 42% from deep, 64% from the floor. He's had 19 or more points in three of the last four games against New Orleans. Phoenix did did not play as, as well against Golden State, but then dropped to 26 against the Bucks. Yes, granted, Giannis Antetokounmpo was ejected for a really terrible call. But point being, the guy is going to shoot the basketball, and I think that's what they need from Killian Hayes is to just maybe be a little bit more aggressive, particularly on catch and shoot threes a little bit. He's shooting 32%. That's not bad. That's, that's passable for what he has been. Is it good? No. Is it passable for what he has been? Yeah, it's mostly passable, but let's talk about Marcus Sasser because you brought up an excellent point of this kid needs to probably be in the starting lineup yesterday. And I completely agree. I think he needs to be in the starting lineup. Um, If you're really upset with Killian Hayes, boy, Marcus Sasser is the run-and-gun type of shooting guard that would look awfully good next to Cade Cunningham. The defense might suffer a little bit um, because he is only 6'2". I think Killian's a little bit tall. Yeah, he's 6'5". So you're losing a little bit of length in the backcourt. Might impact the defense and passing lanes and deflections and all that stuff, but undeniably Marcus Sasser is a shooter and I mean, it's really, it's, it's just hard to deny the fact that the Pistons offense goes cold pretty often because of their lack of shooting. And you have a young shooter who seems unfazed by the moment. I mean, he was hitting fall away threes and getting into the paint and throwing up teardrops and they're falling seems more fearless. And like he has an idea of what to do on the offensive end in a way that Killian just doesn't, and that's really valuable to Detroit right now, seeing as their shooters are all injured. I'm I'm on board with the Marcus Sasser starting train. Um, how how has his play impacted your feeling on the backcourt in general? Has it made Killian Hayes more expendable? Has it made you know other other guys in the backcourt maybe a little bit more expendable? 
possible at the trading deadline or how how are we feeling about Marcus Sasser? Because I think some people feel like he was, I think the general consensus amongst people is like he he's like basically a second round pick, but he was a first round pick and he's kind of, you know, he was one of those guys that was on the fringe heading into training camp of like, you know, he'll probably, you know, maybe he'll make the roster will probably be with the crews, but he he's a guy that's injected himself directly into the rotation and hopefully, or at least so far, it looks like he should be in the starting lineup. Yeah. I mean, what he's done is, is nothing short of, of incredible. I mean, you you've been really, really happy with what Asar Thompson's given you as a rookie this year. Marcus Sasser's not too far behind with the way that he's playing basketball right now. I mean, and by the way, he's a year older than Killian Hayes. Yeah. He was, but that's the thing. Like those guys that played four years of college basketball are a little bit older. They tend to get overlooked in the draft process at this point. And they tend to fall to the, to the late first, early second. And it's like, sometimes like Sadiq Bay draft a guy that, is younger and maybe has more quote unquote potential, but maybe sometimes just draft a guy that's already proven he could play and has already gotten better every year that he played in college where you have more film against higher level competition than just one season where before that he was playing in high school, more than likely against a bunch of kids. He was way, way bigger, better, more athletic and talented than. So Marcus Sasser's just come in and, and he has really necessarily looked like a rookie. He's looked like a guy that can come out and give you 25, 30 minutes a night and play competitive basketball on both sides of the floor, shooting over 60% on two-pointers, over 50% on three-pointers, giving you a steal a game, giving you double-digit points, giving you three assists. Like He's doing so, so, so much, and I think a really good comparison for him it's kind of like that Desmond Bain or, or Tyrese Maxey kind of volume scorer type guy drafted a little bit later. Uh, I, I mean, he's been absolutely awesome. And I think we've already seen people saying, and I don't necessarily agree with this after just nine games, but it's like, okay, Marcus Sasser is the guy to build law around long-term alongside Kate Cunningham in the backcourt. They can move on from Jaden Ivey. I think that's maybe a little bit of an overreaction after the nine games of a, of a rookie year, but nonetheless, the returns from Sasser have been absolutely incredible. And you have to wonder that without all of these injuries that Detroit's had to Burks and Morris and Bogdanovich and Ivy, like would we have known Marcus Sasser can do this yet? I mean, the opportunity he's gotten with these injuries, he's taken it and run with it. And I don't think there was a clear role for him had this team been fully healthy at the beginning of the year. But now he's forced the team's hand. And I can't imagine a world where he's not in the rotation when these guys are are back and healthy, even if they do all come back, because he's played so, so well. And he's doing things that are are, are, are repeatable and, and consistent, like, He's knocked down a lot of tough shots. He's knocked down a bunch of open shots. Like he's doing everything you need to do. And, and what you appreciate about him is similar to what Asar Thompson gives you in that they go out there and compete. They don't stop competing. They don't stop giving effort. They are running around trying to make plays on both sides of the court. And, you know, for a team that's two and seven has a bunch of issues Guys like that are hard to keep on the bench, and, and Sasser has certainly exceeded expectations. But it's also something that we talked about when the Pistons 
had the offseason that they had and you know they 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 traded for Joe Harris and they traded for Monty Morris and it's like okay you have two more guards you're bringing back Kate Cunningham you're bringing back Jaden Ivey you didn't move off Killian Hayes how are you going to use this first round pick that you traded up and gave up assets to acquire and their hands were kind of forced into having to play him because of injuries and like I said He's taken it run and completely capitalized on it. We're having conversations about him that quite frankly, I did not think we would be having. And I don't know who would have really thought we'd be having these at least this early into this season. So yeah, uh, huge amount of, of kudos to, to what Marcus Sasser has done. He's been stellar this year. Shooting 50% from three. <laughs> um, hard to keep a player like that, not in the rotation. You'll live with the defensive shortcomings because um, he is another 6-2 point guard. You'll live with it. The defense with him on the floor is in the 32nd percentile. It's actually a little bit better than when Jay Nivey is on the floor. The offense is you know, right at about 50th percentile. It's almost flat even, but there's no denying that the shooting is a real weapon and it's going to be very difficult to remove him from the rotation when some of these guys get healthy, when Monty Morris gets healthy, when Boyan Bogdanovich gets healthy. And, you know, I, I do think that his play has maybe recalibrated Detroit's thinking for long-term stuff, maybe a little bit. And maybe not like, oh, we can trade Jaden Ivey. It's probably of like more, oh, this is what we need the two guard to do on a more consistent basis, whoever that is. That's what we need to fit next to Cade because clearly um, something is working. He sparked that comeback yesterday, uh, and it was really fun to watch. I I, I had the Bucks stream on uh, or, or with their broadcast, and their broadcast crew was just, you know, it's a good sign when the opposing commentators are going like, oh, every, every time a shot falls or they're going, oh, wow, when a shot falls because a guy is so hot and uh, – really fun to watch and, and you know it's not going to have to happen obviously all the time hard to expect that but he's not afraid of the moment and he's not afraid to shoot and those two things will get you awfully far on a team that is so devoid of offense due to injuries and as a guy that could take a l- little bit of pressure off of Cade uh, you know who who has been up and down this year I think mostly up more so than down the turnovers, something that we talked about earlier, kind of unfortunate that they're that high, but he is a high usage player. And that's kind of just what happens his usage this year. And this will be our segue into the Kate Cunningham discussion. He is in the 100th percentile. He is number one for his position, according to cleaning the glass in terms of usage. He's higher than, wow. Cam Thomas is really high. He is really high. Um, for wings. He's categorized as a wing in or on uh, cleaning the glass. So he is at the 100th percentile in terms of usage. He, I, I think he's been more good than bad this year. We're, we were talking about the turnovers earlier. Um, But what are your thoughts so far on Cade? We're what, like two weeks into the season now at this point? What are your early returns on Cade Cunningham coming back into the fold? I, I think that first game against the Miami Heat, we were all like, oh, he's as good as advertised. This is what we've been missing. 
I think it's still been up and down. I mean, the shooting has come and gone. You know, he was two for eight yesterday from deep, but he, I mean, again, it's undeniable that he is the the alpha. 33 points against the Bucks, 21 points against the Golden State Warriors. You know, against Phoenix, he put up another 26. He put up 30 against Portland. Clearly the alpha male, but what are your early thoughts on Cade coming back and being the heliocentric player that I think the Pistons have, have been counting on him being? Yeah, I mean, there's been a mix of of good and bad from Cade Cunningham. The good is he's averaging 24 points and seven assists a game. He's been healthy. He's playing a lot of minutes. He's doing a lot of good things. And, you know, the efficiency's been pretty hit or miss. Let's be fair. I think it's definitely taken a hit in the last four games or so where he's not shooting the ball uh, as well, especially from the three-point line, his numbers have have completely drifted off from where he was in the preseason and the first five or so games of the year. But the bad is he has 10 more assists than any other player in the NBA. He averages just about five and a half turnovers per game. He only gets to the line 4.7 times a game. And for a guy that has that high usage and as the ball in his hands that much, uh, you expect him to turn the ball over, but it's concerning that A, he's turning the ball over, B, he doesn't really get to the free throw line, yet he has the ball in his hands so much. And, you know, the efficiency, the turnovers, the lack of free throws, that stuff all sort of adds up, and it makes it tough to look at the fact that he's still averaging 24-7. and And what's really just his second season in the league. He lost so much time last year, but only played 11 games. He, he he's It's really his second year in the league in that regard in terms of the, the amount of games that, that he's played. And the other fact is this roster, these lineups just do not fit him right now. And, and, and it should look better once guys get healthy, if they ever all are able to. But it's just not great for him when he's sitting on the court with, Killian Hayes, Sar Thompson, Isaiah Stewart, and Jalen Duran. And there's just no spacing for him to work with. You look down and down the stretch in that Milwaukee game, even with Sasser on the court instead of Killian Hayes, the Bucs just got into that zone and dared Asar Thompson and dared Isaiah Stewart to outshoot them from the three-point line. They couldn't get the ball inside to Jalen Duran. And that's what teams are going to do in that situation. They're going to not allow Cunningham to get a shot off from from inside. He's going to have to either settle for a junked up mid-range shot, or he's going to have to trust those guys out there to make outside shots. And the fit for him with the group that's usually on the court with him is just not great. And that's why the numbers got so much better when Alec Burks was on the court. And if you had cutting him on the court with, you know, two other shooters rather than just Burks. Like you'd imagine the numbers would be better. There's good, there's bad. You have to be willing to recognize both. uh, And you have to hope that things get better as he gets more comfortable, as guys get healthier and he can play with better uh, fits on the court, better lineup situations. But you also have to be willing to acknowledge the turnovers are an issue the turnovers are the biggest issue because 
they're not turnovers like they're turnovers that can be avoided the lazy passes right the the lazy dribbling the things that you know the defense didn't make some great play to get in front of and dive on the floor or anything you threw a bad pass out of bounds you threw a bad pass off your teammate's foot you got lazy with your handle coming off a screen so there are things that are fixable but you also have to recognize that they're a problem and those are things that hurt the Pistons. Yeah, I was just sorting through some of the lineups with him in it, um, which, by, by the way, he's – you are not kidding about the turnovers. His turnover percentage is 18.2, uh, which is pretty high. That's, again, the eighth percentile. According to Cleaning the Glass, that's right around, like, Dylan Brooks, Zaire Williams area. Um but his usage is awfully high, and that, again, is just a byproduct. But the lineup thing is interesting. Lineups with him and Alec Burks at the one are are like a plus 71 differential. Um, it's pretty it's pretty crazy. You, you put a competent shooter next to him, and it, like, massively changes. And that's with Isaiah Stewart in the lineup, too. Yeah, plus 71.8 um, <laughs> overall with him and... Burks on at the same time in 113 possessions, they have a plus minus differential plus 28.3. So personnel is definitely an impact next to Cade Cunningham. And, you know, we kind of always thought that kind of always knew that, that if you put shooters around him and allow him to get to the hole and break down a defense and then kick it out, or you force defenses to go scrambling back to the, you know, the three-point line because that's where they have to cover to cover those competent shooters around him that, get, you know, it just makes the offense flow a lot more. Just just work out a little bit better um, as opposed to clogging the paint right now. I mean, we've seen the screenshots on Twitter slash X of five defender, four defenders on Cade at like the free throw line as he's driving to the rim and nobody covered on the perimeter and just have to force up some junk and hope that you get fouled, which you know he's not doing at he's he he's not getting to the line and maybe that's a byproduct of refs and whatnot. And there's other other things in, in play there, but his foul drawing is just to pull it up since I had cleaning the glass up. You know, he's getting fouled on almost ten percent of his shot attempts, which is so far a career high. That's in like around the Jalen Brown range. Um for forward so it's still an evolving situation with him and the guys getting healthy I think will give us a really good like ability to see what's going to stick rest of the year and maybe into next year especially for some of those younger players but I think so far it's undeniable and I've said undeniable like four times it's undeniable that he is he is the guy he has the you know he puts up a 30 point performance and to be honest, it, it really didn't look like that much effort. His play against the Miami Heat on opening night, it didn't look like he was laboring whatsoever, getting to his spots, forcing stuff up at the rim, and it looked pretty good, playing good defense with his size, distributing the basketball. It, it all looked very calm, cool, and collected, and you know we're, we are continuing to see that as, as the season unfolds, and despite players going down around him he's he's continuing to you know uh, 
exude those traits that you were hoping to see out of him. And just because I've done this with everybody else in the backcourt, 24 points per game, seven assists per game on right around four boards, like five and a half ish turnovers a game, almost six. Um, Still an evolving situation though. Um, And like I said, getting better shooters on the floor next to him will really, will really give the Pistons uh, a, a good assessment of, what kind of player should be playing next to him. And, and, you know, hopefully that player is already on the roster. Yeah. I think it'll be telling once this team is able to get back Burks is able to get back Bogdanovich. Uh, and, and even, you know, a guy like Isaiah livers, the different lineup combinations across the board that, that open up with more shooting with more versatility offensively uh, around Kate Cunningham. I think it will be telling to see how the numbers differentiate in those groups compared to the ones now that are lacking spacing, more defensive focused, more size focused. So I think there's been a mix of good and bad. Kate Cunningham is still 22 years old. He's coming back to a team that is banged up, coming back to a team that he only played 11 games for last year and sat out a long, long time due to a serious injury. It was never going to be perfect from the jump. Cade wasn't coming back and putting up 38 and eight on 45 and 38% shooting. Like it just wasn't going to work like that. That's not a realistic expectation. And I think this is more realistic. He's 22. He's in a tough spot. He's still putting up big numbers, but there are obvious things that he has to work on that are still hurting this team. It's really that simple. Yep. I think that's a good, a good capping point there um, for this discussion on the backcourt. Aaron, we we've made our way through all of our topics for today. Do you have any, any thoughts on the game against the Philadelphia 76ers? I mean, Philadelphia is a wrecking crew right now. There was, you know, a lot of worrying about what was going to happen with them after the James Harden trade. And they're they're six and one best team in the East uh, in terms of record. They've been incredible. Joel Embiid's playing like an MVP, 32 points, 11 rebounds, six assists for him. Like taking a leap there. Tyrese Maxey is awesome. Uh, They they're, they're playing really, really good basketball. Not a great matchup for Detroit, but, uh, you know, we'll see if they can battle with them like they did against Milwaukee on Wednesday night. Yeah, that was a good battle. Um, Joel Embiid is going to be tough. They are uh, they're a very interesting team of just – it seems like they're an entire team. You know, it's very Nick Nurse-like uh, from the Raptors where it seemed like they just kept throwing quality players at you. You can't – and and you're like where, where where the hell is this coming from? Where's Kelly Oubre coming from? Shooting the way that he is shooting, um, getting all this depth. Oh, they have KJ Martin. Oh, they you know they have all these players, and it's like how how is this possible that they're still playing this well? It's like a team of bench guys plus Maxi and Embiid, and they're you know they're 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 playing exceedingly well. And it's this is Detroit's first in season tournament game, correct? They were not part of the first round of games. They were not. No, they were not. So this is the first one. Yeah, they, they, I mean, they're just uh, the six are just a tough team. They just, they just are. Patrick Beverly, 
Tobias Harris, um, quality players. Uh, did you see the picture of Nick Batum's finger though? No, I don't Got know. Broken or dislocated? Oh, don't don't go search it. I don't like I don't like watching that those kind of injuries and, and that kind of stuff. But you know, no, this, it's got some dogs. I mean, you have two very good players in Embiid and Maxi, and then you have just like I said, dogs that that will go out there and fight for you defensively. Patrick Beverly, DeAnthony Melton, um, there. Well, PJ Tucker was on the team, not there anymore, but they've just got guys that Robert that, Covington. You know, they just got guys exactly. Got some good scorers that are capable of having some bigger games than Tobias Harris and Kelly Oubre. Like they're, they're not a perfect team, but they're very good. And now they have some, a few extra assets that they can use if they want to turn them quickly. Yep. Try to get another guy to, to galvanize this team. And, and I imagine that'll be the plan when you have a player like Joel Embiid on, on the roster playing. In and, his- and when you have a GM like Daryl Morey, I mean, he's always looking for the next deal or the next, you know, acquisition to make a make a splash. And they, and, you know, they got the assets now. I think it'll be a fun game. I'm interested in seeing Duran go up against Embiid. I'm interested to see how Maxi is with assuming that the starting lineup will be Cade and Killing in the backcourt, dealing with a little bit of that extra length. The Sixers did beat Boston, and Boston has been like crowned the Eastern Conference champions already by many people because of them getting Drew Holiday. So Sixers are no slouch, even though they don't have James Harden. They are still a very quality team. So be very fun to see a couple of interesting matchups there uh, between some of the younger guys on the Pistons and some of the more exciting slash veteran slash MVP winner type guys for the Sixers. Aaron, any other thoughts before we wrap up this edition of the podcast, this non-Jasper edition? Weird without Jasper. I, I, I feel like I haven't podcasted without him in, in a long time. But, no, we, we hit on a lot today. I like that we kind of just bounced around, and it seemed like a lot of our discussion just kind of flowed into with one another. So I thought that was good. And I know we kind of go off on subtopics and rants here and there, but I thought today was a good show. And Yeah, then- that's, that's fine. That's fine. The people love Mitch McGarry. Oh, I, I love that deep cut. I, I, I know there are people out there that have been listening since the Mitch McGarry days. So I, I love that, that deep cut right there. Those, those were days. Those, those were some days. We've been doing this for a, uh, a while and hopefully we'll be doing it for a while more. And hopefully you'll all be sticking with us as we continue to cover the Detroit Pistons season. Hopefully we get some healthy players back and can, you know, accurately assess uh, this team and, you know, when that happens, because it's going to happen, we hope that you'll be sticking around with us as we continue forward with the Palace Pistons podcast. And that's going to do it for this edition of the show. I'd like to thank my co-host Aaron Johnson for coming on as we coordinated at the very last second to see who could do this show. And I'd like to thank our sponsor for this week as well. That's Bet Online. And if you haven't used Bet Online, go ahead and use our promo code Believe B L E A V for a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use bet online. So again, for my co-host Aaron Johnson, I'm Mike Anguilano. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast, part of the Believe Network, and we'll see you all next time.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.